My name is Joel, and first of all, thank you so much, Christ Fellowship. I, I'm so honored to be up here and to be able to share today's message. Uh, it's a privilege. It's beautiful. Uh, and I, I'm just, honestly, I'm honored. I'm humbled because God has been so good this whole series. Today, we're continuing the series, Anointed. And I don't think any title could be more fitting than Anointed because that's exactly what these last few weeks have been. The messages have been clear and powerful. God's message has been very clear and powerful. Last service, we had the opportunity to see baptisms, as you just saw up here. The people came up and received those certificates. And that, to me, is such an amazing thing. Because people are saying, I want to take a bold faith, a step of, in my faith. I want to draw closer to God, and I want the world to see it. I want to demonstrate my, my heart for Jesus outwardly. So, and that's something that never gets old, right? We can do that once a month. We can do that every service and it'll never get old because there's always new people doing that. There's always new people taking that step for the kingdom. And it's beautiful. Last week, we also had something else going on. We had, obviously, what am I saying? The big, one of the biggest things, PC shared the, the message of uh, how Satan, our enemy, tries to keep us from three things. Three things. One is... He tries to keep you from knowing your identity. Secondly, living in your purpose. And third, obeying God's word. Obeying God's word. Today, we're going to dig a little deeper into obeying God's word. Now, as soon as I said that, some brains shut off. Why? Because the word obey is scary to people sometimes. The word obey is like a bad word sometimes to people because they think, oh, that's a list of do's and don'ts. You know, it's just a bunch of rules that I have to live by. But I, prom- I, I ask you this morning, please don't shut off your brains. Don't shut your brains off. Hear me out. Because I really believe God has something to tell you if you're ready to listen. If you're willing to listen, I think God has something to say in his morning. So I want to get into some scripture, and it's in the book of Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms, I honestly think it's one of my, fi- it's one of my favorite books. King David, the guy that beat Goliath, he was probably like 15 or 16 years old, and he beat up this giant named Goliath. He actually wrote a lot of the Psalms, not all of it, but a lot of it. And I love the Psalms because it's a passionate book. There's a lot of passion in it. There's a lot of emotion tied in with the words. And you can actually sense it when you're reading it. Today, we're going to get into Psalm 19. So if you're flipping in your Bible, if you have it, you know, it's somewhere in the middle of it, right before Proverbs. If not, it'll be up behind me. But Psalm 19, verse 7, is where we're going to start. And King David wrote this particular uh, psalm as well. So let's read it. All right. Ready? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. He's talking about laws, right? They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. King David talks about laws 
He's talking about God's commands, ordinances, precepts. He's talking about these things as if it's the most amazing thing in the world. When you could have had a billion other people write, law, write about laws, and none of them, zero out of a billion, would have written with such passion. Because it's laws. Laws are usually viewed as fun killers, as restrictive, as limiting, as boring. And yet King David writes with this totally different perspective. He writes, as you even read, he writes as if he's saying God's law revives the soul. I'm not even sure what that means, but it sounds amazing. Like it revives the soul. It gives joy. It gives light. It gives so many things. It gives uh, rewards. It's better than gold. It's better than, it's sweeter than honey. If it were nowadays, back in the day, honey was like the sweetest, that was like the best thing. Nowadays, it will say like it's better than Dunkin' Donuts or it's better than, I don't know, whatever, the, the cinnamon uh, pretzels from Auntie Annie's. He's saying it's better than all of that. By the way, I can't go to the mall. I don't like the mall, but if I go to the mall, that's my problem. I go straight to Auntie Annie's. And I love, I love that cinnamon one. I really do. But anyway, back, back to business, sorry. So he's saying that it's better than all of those things. He's writing as if, you know what? He's writing with the percep- from the perception that God's law is something to benefit from. And it is. It is. He writes as if God's law is something that's beautiful. He writes as if there's, a, there's beauty in the obedience. And you know what? There is. There is. There really is. Now, I know we're all probably in different uh, places. Forgive me. I'm jumping ahead of myself. The last line that he says, I want to reread it because I think it's really telling to where David's writing from. And it says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, that line is very telling because it's, it's telling you the perspective that he's writing from. It's telling you where his obedience is coming from. He's, he's obedient because he wants to please God. The motivation behind his obedience is to please God. That's why he obeys. He obeys because he wants to honor God. That's his intention, to make God smile. See, I think the beauty of obedience is all about where it comes from. The beauty of obedience is all about where it comes from. What's behind the act of the, of the obedience? What's the motivation behind it? What's the reason that you do what you do? What's all behind it? When you make a, desi- a decision to obey God's word with the purpose of, of, of pleasing him, that's beautiful. When you decide to obey God with the sole purpose of pleasing God, of making him smile, not of anything that you can get out of return, but for pleasing him, that's beautiful. That's what God desires. So, my question is, where does your obedience come from? What's the motivation behind your obedience to God? What's your intention? Why do you do it? Why do you do what you do? I know that we're all probably in different stages as far as our level of obedience, right? And I think that's fair to say. We're all in different places. Um, we're not all going to be in the same spot. Some of us might feel like, you know what, I'm very obedient to God. You know, maybe some of you feel like on a daily basis, your mission in life is to obey God and to please him and honor him with everything that you do. And by no means are you perfect, but you, on a daily basis, you're trying to give control to God of your heart. Whatever you don't have, he doesn't have control of today, you're trying to give that to him. You want to please him with your lifestyle. Then there are some of us that maybe are somewhere in the middle. Maybe you want to do good. You, you know God and you want to get to know him more. But if you're honest... There are probably a lot of parts of your life 
where he doesn't have control. He doesn't have full access of your heart. He doesn't have full authority over your life. He might have some, but not all. There are parts of your life where you've been wrestling for a long time where you know it's definitely sin according to God's eyes, but it's still a part of you. As a matter of fact, you're not even wrestling. You've just accepted it, and it's just settled within you. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Or maybe that's neither, neither of those are, are a good description of you. Maybe for you, obedience to God's word isn't something that you've ever really set as a priority in life. Maybe you don't even know if you believe in God. Maybe you're not sure. And so obeying God's word is, is foreign to you because you're like, hold up, that's just a bunch of rules that I have to follow that I'm not even sure if I believe in to begin with. So what I want you to do is just take a second and think, where are you in, in that? You don't have to tell me. Just keep that in your mind. Think about it, you know, throughout the teaching. Because I think whatever stage you're in, whatever place fits, in, you know, that, that represents you, in all those places, I think you have something in today's teaching. I think God's going to speak to your heart no matter where you are. But it's good to know where you are. See, the beauty of obedience is all about where it comes from. There are two key points that I want to make today about where obedience comes from. And the first one is this. The first one is obedience is deeply connected to your faith in God. Obedience is deeply, I don't mean just a little bit, it's deeply connected to your faith in God. I can say it this way. Your obedience stems from your faith. You've heard it this way, and I think you'll understand it even more with this line. Ready? You live what you believe. Flat out. You live what you believe. You really do. If you believe that it's very important to uh, educate yourself and, and you think education is very important, you try to study more. You try to learn more. Listen, I know life is hard, but you seek it. Like, that's something that you want. If you think that it's very important to spend time with your family or with your children, you find ways, as, as busy as life can be, you find ways to do that. You find ways to make that time with those people that you love. You live what you believe. And it's the same thing with God. It's the same thing with God. When you're obedient, I'm sorry, when, forgive me. In the same way, your obedience to God is deeply connected to your faith in God. See, nothing speaks more of what you believe than how you live. Before a single act of obedience is ever done, before a single act of obedience is ever done, you've already considered a bunch of your belief statements in your mind. Before you do one act of obedience, there are already a bunch of things that you've decided in your mind on what you believe about God. So, for example, I'll, I'll say a few of them that it doesn't necessarily have to be it. There are a lot of other things that it could be. But, for example, let's say you want to serve in church. Or pray in the morning. Get baptized like we saw people do the, uh, just last week. Read the Bible. Stop a bad habit that, cons- that God considers sin in your life. Before you do any of that, you've decided in your heart and in your mind what you believe about it already. And some of those belief statements, they could pop up in a second. And these are just some, but there are many others. Number one might be, I believe God exists. I mean, it makes sense, right? Before you decide to obey God, I'm sure you've, de- you've, you've wrestled with the idea, like, do I even believe in God? I believe God exists. Number two, I believe God's word is true. Number three, I believe I can trust God. Number four, I believe God's guidance is good for me. He won't misguide me. Five, I believe he won't hurt me. Six, I believe God has a plan, a good plan for my life. And seven, I believe God sees things in the future that I can't see. 
See, these are just some examples, but when you're deciding whether or not to obey God, you're definitely considering what you believe about God beforehand. In other words, it starts with your faith. See, whether you realize it or not, you know what you're doing. Whether you realize this or not, you're putting your faith on a scale. You don't even notice it. I do it, you do it, we all do it. You're putting your faith on a scale, and this is what's happening. When your faith is put on a scale, if your faith level exceeds or at least matches the level of the command, in other words, if, it, if it's matched up with it or if it exceeds it, meaning it's weightier, because on a scale, if it's heavier, it goes further down, right? If it exceeds or matches the level of the command, you might do it. You actually might do it. It's not a guarantee. There are plenty of times we don't obey, even if, if, even if we can. But if your faith level exceeds or matches it, you have a chance of doing it. But the opposite, if the level of the command exceeds the level of your faith, you probably won't do it. You won't do it. The point is, first comes, first comes faith, then comes obedience. Listen, don't take my word for it. It says it in the Bible, all right? Don't think, don't think it's just Joel making something up, all right? So in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. I mean, that already sums it up right there. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he, re- he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith comes first, then obedience. There's a story in the Bible that I think really paints this picture well, and it's the story of Abraham. Abraham was alive a long, 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 long time ago. If you, if you ever heard of Moses, it was way before Moses. And a really cool story about him is God called him out. God called him and said all these promises to him, and he was challenging him. He was challenging him to take a step, just very similar to the step everyone took, uh, all the people that had the baptism last week took. It was a step of faith. Abraham was being called out by God. It was a step of faith that he was being challenged with. And I want to read about it, but basically God was calling him to leave his country, to leave his country. So let's read that calling because I think it's really powerful. And it's in Genesis chapter 12. And it reads, the Lord had said to Abraham, back then his name was Abraham without the H, that just meant father. Later his name changed to Abraham, which is father of many, which you'll understand a little bit more as we read it. But I just didn't want you to think it was a misspell. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So Abraham left with his wife, and he took his nephew Lot and his, his family. And he left everything he knew behind, including his father and his siblings. See, I used to think, man, God gave him a really awesome blessing. That sounds awesome. I completely understand why Abraham left. That sounded easy. I get it. I mean, listen to everything that God was saying. So if God spoke to you like that, you'd probably do whatever he said, right? Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. See, I used to think God's given him an awesome calling. It was easy for him to obey. Abraham understood that God was calling him to turn his family into a nation. Look at what God was saying to him. God was promising him blessings like crazy. That was probably the most uh, frequent word in that whole paragraph, blessing, blessing, blessing. 
God basically says, I'm going to give you power. Where did he say that? You're going to become a nation. I'm giving you power. Imagine God said, I'm giving you power. He says, I'm going to give you wealth and health. Where did he say that? I'm going to bless you. He also said, I'm going to give you protection and security. Where did he say that? I'm going to curse your enemies. Like, listen, what else could he even ask for? There's nothing else he could even say. Like, he couldn't ask for a car. Cars didn't exist back then. What else could he have possibly asked for? Like, can you think of something else? Protection, wealth, health, blessings, all these different things. Power. All of these amazing, amazing things. But here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is he had to leave his country. He had to leave everything he, he knew. Only thing he was thinking was his wife, his nephew, his wife, some other possessions they might have had. They had some servants. It was a, a group of them. But he was leaving everything. Listen, he, was le- he already had, to a certain extent, everything that God was promising him back at home. His father was well off. He, was, he already had some power. He was leaving the power he had back at home. He already had some wealth and health. He was leaving that wealth and health back at home. He already had protection. He was leaving that back at home. He had to go out to a place he didn't even know. To make it harder, like I said, God was telling him to go where he didn't know, know he was going. To leave home and go elsewhere meant to risk path, uh, crossing paths with enemies. There's something I want to say. Did I skip it? I hope I didn't skip it. We'll see. So to leave home and go elsewhere meant to risk crossing paths with enemies. Back then, wherever you lived, those were your people. Everyone outside was an enemy. So it was almost a guarantee, basically, you're going to cross paths with enemies. And let me tell you, when you cross paths with enemies, you forget what God says real quick. Real quick. He kind of did. If you read the rest of it, you'll notice for a second, he kind of slipped up and forgot what God was telling him. But the amazing thing is, he still obeyed God. He answered God's call. He answered God's call. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. A little bit uh, to show that it was a little harder. God was calling him out to leave his country, and he was calling him out to do so many different things. He said, I'm going to make you a nation. He wasn't even a tiny island yet. Let me tell you why. It was him and his wife. He was 75 years old when he left his father's household. He had no kids. Can you imagine God telling him, I'm going to turn you into a nation. I'm going to make your family into a nation. God, I have no kids. I'm 75. How are you going to do that? It wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't. It really wasn't. So what drove Abraham's obedience to God? That's simple. It was his faith. His faith did it. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. His faith led to his obedience. So what does it say about Abraham's faith? He must have reminded himself of those belief statements. I'm sure he was telling himself, all right, what do I know about God? What do I believe about God? God is real. Okay, I believe that. God's trustworthy. I believe that. All right, God is going to keep his word. I believe that. God has a good plan for my life. I believe that. I'm sure all those things had to run through his mind as he was deciding to obey. And again, the amazing thing is he did it. He actually did it. I know Abraham must have been digging deep in his faith because the only thing that God gave him was his word. All he gave him was a promise. It's not like he gave him something and said, look, this is going to be evidence for what I'm going to do. No, he said, here's my word. Trust it. That's it. You know he was digging deep. Again, like he, 
He, he, had, he was 75, he had no kids, and he was going to turn into a nation. Timothy Keller is a pastor who I really appreciate the way he explains Abraham's story. He really puts it in perspective. He says this. He says, God told Abraham, go and leave your country. Abraham says, where? Where am I going? Where? He says, I'll show you later. Just go. God says, I'm going to forget. I don't want to mess this up. God says, I'll give him a son. I'll give you a son. Abraham asked, how? 75 years old. How? Give me a son. How? God said, I'll show you later. Just trust me. God told him, go climb this mountain and put your son to death. Abraham asked God, why? God said, I'll show you later. Just climb. Now, it's important to notice, it's important to realize this. God didn't let Abraham put his son to death. He stopped the sacrifice. He never, ever intended for Abraham to put his son to death. What he was doing was he was testing Abraham's faithfulness. And just as importantly, even more so, he was foreshadowing what he was going to do eventually. Because one day, one day, God sent down his own son to earth, Jesus. And he told Jesus, climb that mountain, and you're going to be put to death on the cross. But this time, he didn't stop the sacrifice. This time, the son died, and it was God's son, Jesus. And he did that to pay the price for sin, for your sin, for my sin. See, sin has a price to be paid, and it's death. And the one, the only one that can pay it is someone that's perfect, and that was Jesus. And this time, God didn't stop it. He was foreshadowing what he was going to do with his own son one day. But he was testing Abraham's faith back then. And we get to read that. We get to receive that. Going back to Abraham, he was obedient even though he didn't understand everything. By faith, he obeyed. And you know what the amazing thing is? Through the process of obeying, God showed him, and he understood Through the process of obeying, God showed him, and he understood. Pastor Carlos said this, I think it was last week, if not two weeks ago, we often want God to tell us everything before we obey. We want to hear everything before we listen, before we do what God's telling us to do. We want God's call to be like an elevator. We want to be able to jump off whatever floor we need to jump off. We want to see the whole building. We want to see everything in detail before we even consider doing what God asks us to do. When in reality, when God calls us, it's like taking the stairs. If you don't like taking the stairs, that's how God calls you. He calls you like taking the stairs. You got to go one step at a time. You can't see where you're going all the way up. You can't see the whole picture before you do it. You got to do it, and every step of the way, you see a little bit more. It's not even an escalator. It's not even fast. It's slow in his work, but God, that's the way he calls you. That's the way he shows you, because it takes faith every step of the way every step of the way. See, sometimes we get stuck on wanting to understand everything about God before we obey him. But you know what? Our finite minds cannot withhold a full comprehension of who God is. We weren't created with that capacity. We just weren't. It'll be impossible. You can, you can learn something new about God every single day forever and still never learn about everything about God. In fact, as a Christian, that's our, that's our hope. That's our desire. 
We want to learn newer and deeper things about God. We want to learn more about him. As a matter of fact, that's what hev- I think that's the glory of heaven. The glory of heaven is that every day or whatever a day is in heaven, I don't even know because it's eternity, all the time we're going to be learning newer and deeper things about who God is, about his character, about his wisdom, about his love for us, about how deep he really is. We're going to be learning things always, forever and ever and ever in his presence. So to want God to tell you everything up front isn't just arrogant. That's God. It's not just arrogant. It's something else. It's foolish. It's foolish. We weren't created with that capacity. Just as faith turns into obedience, obedience turns into understanding. All right, so listen. If you didn't hear it from Abraham, if you didn't learn it from him, if you're tired of hearing me speak, I'm going to tell it to you from someone's point of view that everyone here, or at least a lot of us, I think listened to growing up. You know who it is? Our favorite martial arts expert growing up. Who is it? No, no, no. Oh, come on. You messed me up now. I didn't even think of him. Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. Forget Bruce Lee. Forget Bruce Lee. Forget, forget Bruce Lee. Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. All right? Listen, I never listen to Bruce Lee and think of something spiritual, but with Mr. Miyagi, I did, all right? Mr. Miyagi, if you don't know who Mr. Miyagi is, he's from the Karate Kid. After this, after this scene, you're going to change your mind, all right, Pastor Harold? Mr. Miyagi was the, the expert in the movie Karate Kid. Who saw Karate Kid growing up? I'm talking about the 1980s version, the original, all right? The original. And in this movie, look, none of the young hands raised their hands. None of the young heads, rather. In the original, Mr. Miyagi, uh, he was an expert. He was an expert. And... He took this boy, this teenager named Daniel. He used to call him Daniel son. There you go. He used to call him Daniel son. And he took this teenager and he said, I'll teach you. I'll teach you martial arts. So Daniel is all excited. He goes to Mr. Miyagi's house one day and he's, you know, early. He's excited. He's thinking he's going to learn how to beat people up. And Mr. Miyagi says, okay, I'm going to teach you. Ready? Go wash my cars. Go wash my cars. Right? Go wash my cars. And after you wash it with soap and water, you need to wax it. That's the famous line that everyone knows, wax on, wax off. You've probably heard of that and never even seen the movie, wax on, wax off. That's not the only thing he told him to do. He told him a few other things. Now, you can imagine Daniel, like, he's upset. He's like, what am I doing here? I'm wasting my time here. He's playing me out. He thought he was being played out by Mr. Miyagi. He, he, he tells him to sand his wooden floors, to paint his fence. He makes him do all these different things. And then finally, I mean, the crazy thing is Daniel does it all. But then finally he gets so fed up. He's like, why am I wasting my time? What are you doing? What are you doing with me? And then finally Mr. Miyagi breaks it all down. Now, instead of me explaining it a little bit more, I'd rather you watch a clip of it. 1980s, so don't expect like crystal clear uh, (laughs) HD, high, high definition, all right? You probably never thought you'd watch Karate Kid during church. (laughs) But see, through the process of obedience, Daniel gained understanding. You might be thinking, you know what, but Mr. Miyagi could have been less dramatic. He could have just told them up front what he was going to do. But I beg to differ. I don't think it's true. You know why? Because it might have sounded so ridiculous to Daniel that he probably would have just walked away. 
Imagine Mr. Miyagi saying, all right, you're going to learn martial arts. You know how? You're going to do my house chores. You're going to clean my car. You're going to you know, paint my fence. You're going to sand my wooden floors. It would have been ridiculous. He would have walked away. He would have probably never done it. And even if he, did, even if he like, told him and explained it to him, the important thing was he still had to go through the process. Like learning that would have never added any value. He still had to go through the process of obedience because in the obedience is where he gained a real understanding. In the obedience is where he really learned. That's where he learned the discipline. That's where he learned the muscle memory. That's where, we, that, where, where he learned the habits. Everything that he gained, it would have never been from hearing it. It would have been from doing it. It didn't matter what he heard. And I'll even say this. I'll even take it a step further. I think explaining it up front would have been worse. It would have been worse. Because even if he decided to go through it, he would have messed up. He would have gotten in the way. Daniel would have started doing things differently because now he has this perspective that he thinks he has more understanding when he doesn't yet because the understanding comes through the obedience. And he would have done extra things. He would have messed around and started kicking the fence instead of painting it. He would have been doing like karate chops on the, on the wooden floor instead of sanding it. You get what I'm saying? Like he would have done things differently thinking he knows what he's doing when he really doesn't. The obedience is where the understanding came from. And in the same way, in the same way that Miyagi didn't tell everything to Daniel, God didn't tell everything to Abraham. Abraham wouldn't have understood it all anyway. He would have never understood the whole picture. Through obedience is where the wisdom came. Through the process of obedience is where he really gained the understanding. So what if, what if just like that, God is telling you to obey? Where could God be telling you to obey him? Where's God saying in your life, go? Don't ask where. I'll show you later, just go. Where might God be telling you, trust me? Don't ask me how I'll do what I'm saying I'm going to do. Trust me. I'll show you later, just trust me. Where might God be saying to you, sacrifice for me? Sacrifice your time, sacrifice your talent, sacrifice your treasures. Sacrifice your hobbies, sacrifice your habits. Everything that you consider to be yours, give it to me. Everything that's within you that's dishonoring to me, give it to me. Give it up. Shed it from your life. Everything that you value, your thoughts, your mind, your heart, your actions, your hands, give it all to me. I want it all. Don't ask why. Just do it. Give it to me. What if God's telling you that? Is he telling you that? I'll tell you a secret. He is. He's not just saying it to you. He's not just saying it to me. He's saying it to all of us. And the crazy thing is, he never stops talking. He does it. He never stops calling. The real question, question isn't, is God calling me? The real question isn't, is God calling you? The question really is, what is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? Where is he called? What area of your life is he calling to obedience? What is he calling you to do? And what is your response going to be? Will your faith exceed or at least match the level of the command? Is your level of faith going to exceed or at least match the level of the command? Is your belief in God going to exceed or at least match the level of his call? Or is it going to be outweighed 
by, by the obedience, by what he's calling you to do. Obedience is deeply connected to your faith in God. And if you haven't seen it yet, there's beauty in obedience. There really is. There's beauty in obedience. So the second thing I want to say first is obedience is deeply connected to your faith in God. And the second one is this. Obedience is deeply connected to your relationship with God. Obedience isn't what defines your relationship with God. It's the result of it. It's not what defines your relationship with God. It it doesn't define your value. It's the result of it. We desire to honor God as Christians. We desire to honor God with our lives because we love God with our heart. Obedience is the fruit of our love for God. Jesus talks about this a few times in the book of John. And I'm just going to say the scriptures. They should be back there. It's all actually in the same chapter, John 14. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. 1421, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He even speaks of his own relationship with God, and he says it this way in verse 31. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He even says it for himself. See, obedience is a choice to be committed to who you love. Obedience is a choice to be committed to who you love. Pastor Carlos explained that our identity is defined by our relationship with God. So many of us spend a lifetime trying to figure out who am I, what's my identity. When, you, when you're missing to realize your identity is easily, easily and clearly found in Christ. It's easily found on what Christ did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he opened this opportunity for us to have a restored relationship, an intimate, personal relationship with the God that made us. When Jesus died on that cross, we were able to receive a forgiveness that was impossible to receive in any other way. And through that, you received an opportunity to become a child of God. Some of us have the misunderstanding, this misconcept you know, that everyone in the world is a child of God. And sadly, it's not true because you have to choose it. You have to choose it. I've said this once before. God is still real whether you believe him or not. God is still creator whether you believe him or not. God is still savior of the world whether you believe it or not. But if you don't accept God as your father, he won't be. He won't be. That's the one thing that he allows you to choose. I'm still God, he says. But if I'm father, that's up to you. I want to be father, but that's completely up to you. It's your choice. He doesn't doesn't force that relationship on you. He offers it out of love. How much more love can he offer? He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And then he says, now you choose. It's up to you. Am I your father? I want you as my child. Am I your father? You might say people can obey God's commands without really believing in him or having an intimate relationship with him. And I'll say again, that's not true. You might think people can obey God's commands and not really believe in him or not really have a relationship with him. I'll say that's not true. That's not what God considers obedience. You know what that is? That's religion. Religion is thinking that you can earn your way into God's good favor. You think, religion is thinking, I can do good deeds and that'll make me good with God. I can do good deeds and that'll put me in the right place with God. I can do good deeds and I'll be a good person. But that's simply not true. That's definitely not obedience. It's just religion. And that's what so many people think is real. But it's, it's, 
It's a fallacy. Religion is just following certain rules, trying to earn points with God, trying to be a good person. When obedience is based on your love and desire to honor God, it's based on who you are in relationship to God. It's an act of love from a child to the Heavenly Father. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. See, if you've been living life thinking your religion is saving you, you're dangerously mistaken. Dangerously mistaken. That would mean that Jesus' sacrifice was done in vain. Jesus came down to earth, as I explained earlier, because he knew the only way, the only way for the consequence of sin to be paid is through death. And through his love, he said, I'll pay that price. I'll die in their place because I'm the only way. It has to be someone that's perfect, someone that's sinless, because if it's someone that's sinful, they're just paying their own death. But if someone that's sinless is doing it, they're paying for the price of everyone. He was the only one that can do it. So for you to say that you can earn a good standing with God through your whatever you call obedience, through your religion, through your acts of good, goodness, you're saying there's a way outside of Jesus to get to God. You're saying there's an, there's out, there's, Jesus isn't the only way. I can earn it. And you know why that's such, such a dangerous concept? Because it's so untrue. You can never... You can, like, some people think they can outweigh their bad with their good, and that's so not true. You can't outweigh the little bit of good that you can do with all the bad that you do. You can't. You need to take a deeper look at yourself. And I don't mean just you. I mean humans in general. Me too. That's why I'm with Jesus. You need to take a deeper, don't even, don't even think about your actions. Have you ever reflected on your thought life? Have you ever just thought about your thoughts, as crazy as that sounds? For every good thought that you have, who knows how many countless sinful, prideful, negative, downright evil thoughts cross your mind? You can never outweigh the bad that you do with your good. Jesus is the only way. He even says it. He says, I'm the, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your righteousness isn't based on what, you could, what good you can do. No amount of good can cover up all the wrong you do. Obedience isn't the means to an end. It's not a means to an end. Obedience isn't the means to salvation. It's not the means to forgiveness. It's not the means to grace. It's not the means, in other words, it's not the route you take to have a relationship with God it's not the way you get that forgiveness or that grace or that right standing with God. No. It's all the result of it. Obedience is the result to salvation. It's the result to having a right standing with God. It's the result to having a relationship with God. Because you do it out of desire. You do it out of uh, the, the, the purpose to please God. You do it because you love God. You do it because he already loved you first. That's where obedience comes from. Anything else is just religion. If you're trying to earn it, it's just religion. So I have to ask you again. I wanted to say this one way too. We don't obey to enter God's inner circle. We obey because God already received us into his inner circle. I have to ask you again, where does your obedience come from? What's the motivation behind your obedience? Why do you do what you do? Are you trying to earn a right standing with God thinking... If I do good, I'll be in, good, in, in good, gr good grace with God? 
What is it that you really believe about God? Does your faith cause you to obey? Or does it constantly get outweighed by the level of the call? What do you really believe about God? Because when it comes down to it, you live what you believe. You live what you believe. And last thing I want to ask you, where is your relationship with God? Where's, uh, can we play the keys and wrap it up? Where's, the relationship with, where's your relationship with God? Are you in the right place with him? Do you see God as your father? Have you accepted what Jesus did on the cross for you? Do you see that as an opportunity to receive the forgiveness that you can only receive through Jesus, that we all need from God, and have you accepted him as your father? So right now, I'm going to end it in prayer, but I want to give you just like a minute, maybe like a minute or two, and just to kind of think of what we've talked about. So you can just bow your heads and close your eyes. And as you're thinking a little bit, as you're thinking, I just want you to consider what we've talked about. So... We know that obedience, the beauty of it, is all about where it comes from. Now, we know that obedience is deeply connected to our faith in God. We know that it's deeply connected to our relationship with God. So I want you to just think about that. Maybe you can take this time to just, just to talk to God for a few seconds and kind of check your faith. Where's your faith? What do you really believe about God? Not what does your mom believe about God? What have you heard about God? What do you truly believe about God? Because remember, you live what you believe. So if you look at your life, you can kind of tell what you really believe. The evidence should be in the life. If it's not, you really need to evaluate. What do you believe about God? Do you believe he exists? Do you believe he's trustworthy? Do you believe his word is true? Do you believe he loves you? Do you believe he has a plan for you? Do you believe that you can trust what he says? And then secondly, where's your relationship with him? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord? Meaning he has authority in your life. Believing, that's, even, even that some people are confused. Believing God is real, believing Jesus is God's son isn't enough. Even the demons know that. When you really believe, you give him authority in your life. He becomes your Lord. He becomes your king. Is he that in your life? Does he have access to your heart? Does he have the authority in your life? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And through that, accepted his father as your father, as your heavenly father. So let me just pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we have, uh, we've had together. Thank you for the message that you've shared with us. Thank you for the truth that you spoke. Thank you for the opportunity to understand. Thank you for allowing us to see a little bit, just opening, you know, just the, opening the, the blinds a little bit and letting us look into your heart and look into what you desire of us. We know, God, that you're, you're calling us to step out in faith, to really believe that you are who you say you are, to really believe that you're trustworthy, to really believe that you love us, to really believe that you have the master plan. And whatever we come up with is nothing compared to what you come up with. I pray, my Lord, that all of us here answer that call of faith. That we take a step out in faith to believe you in a way that we didn't believe you when we walked in. Holy Spirit, 
I pray, Lord, that you go into our hearts, even now as we speak, even now as we pray, when you go into our hearts and plant those seeds of faith to believe you in a way that we didn't believe you before so that that faith can translate into obedience. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that does not have a personal, intimate relationship with you, God, if there's anyone here that has not accepted you, Jesus, sweet Jesus, powerful Jesus, loving Jesus, sacrificial Jesus, saving Jesus, King Jesus, if there's anyone here that has not tasted the sweetness of your love, that's sweeter than honey, even honey on a comb, that's much more precious than gold, even pure gold, if they don't know you in that manner, Lord, I pray that they get to know you in that way. Because there's nothing, that, there's nothing like knowing you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. There's beauty in the obedience. There's beauty in knowing you, God. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as a father, I pray they get to know you as a father. Through Jesus, we can have that restored relationship with our creator. And he doesn't just say, I'm God, you're small. No, no, no. He brings you into his inner circle and he embraces you. And he says, come home, my child. I love you. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you in that matter, I pray right now they decide that in their heart. And they say, I want to know you as my father. I accept you, Jesus. Forgive me my sins. I see what you did on that cross. I accept it. I know I can't earn my way into a relationship with you, God, but I know it's given freely, so I accept it. Accept me as your child, and I accept you as my father in heaven. And may all of that, God, may all of that lead into obedience with the purpose not to earn anything, but to please you and to honor you with our lives, lives, with the way that we live. Because we know that when we walk in obedience, God, we become a light shining for everyone around us, anointed chosen by you to be a light shining for everyone around us. Nothing about us, but all about you. Not for our glory, but your glory. We can't help but shine when we're walking in obedience because it's yours. It's all your glory. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much for all that you do. Amen. Amen. God bless you.